Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, If You Hear His Voice. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March 23, 2014, the third Sunday in Lent. It's all well and good to talk about liberation from oppression, whether from Pharaoh, Herod, or some modern-day dictator. After all, that's the theologically correct rhetoric among Christians. But it's not always how the story unfolds. We human beings are much more complex. In Exodus 17 for this week, the ancient Hebrews were barely out of bondage in Egypt when they begged Moses to go back. After 430 years and 10 generations, some people had grown to love their enslavement. After the Exodus, after crossing the Red Sea on dry land, and after songs of celebration by Moses and Miriam for all God's mighty acts of deliverance, the liberated Hebrews set out. But then the very first story about them describes how they demanded a return to their status quo in Egypt. Slavery had its consolations, whereas freedom was precarious. The Exodus 17 story is retold in Numbers, Deuteronomy, in the Psalms, including Psalm 95 for this week, the people complained, grumbled, tested God, and in one verse it says, they broke faith with their liberator. As is often the case in the Bible, the place was memorialized with a name to mark its significance. Moses called it Meribah, which is Hebrew for the verb to find fault. They faulted Moses. Is the Lord among us or not? They tested God. Where is the proof of your presence? We shouldn't be too hard on the Hebrews. They faced harsh conditions in the desert. They only did what many of us do today. Clinical psychologists tell us that some victims embrace their abusive relationships and form emotional bonds with their abusers. Battered wives, members of cults, participants in hazing rituals, and, most famously, hostages who exhibit the Stockholm Syndrome of empathizing with their captors. We don't like to talk about it, but historians tell us similar things about blacks in slavery and prisoners in concentration camps. For some people, playing it safe as a strategy of survival is easier than the demands of freedom from captivity. I experienced a version of the oppressed's preference for bondage when we lived in Moscow from 1991 to 1995. When economic chaos followed the demise of the Soviet Union and ruined the lives and life savings of average citizens, 
Many people longed for the bad old days. Our housekeeper and helper Vera once said, I'm not educated, but things were predictable under Brezhnev. The writer Andre So wonders whether we really want to be free from our bondages. She recalls a scene in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis in which a man is plagued night and day by an offer lizard, a metaphor for lust. But when an angel offers to slay the lizard, he objects. C.S. Lewis then observes, There's always something they insist on keeping, even at the price of misery. There is always something they prefer to joy, that is, to reality. The time comes when, though the, though the pleasure becomes less and less, and the craving fiercer and fiercer, and though he knows that joy can never come that way, yet he prefers to joy the mere fondling of unappeasable lust, and would not have it taken from him. He'd fight to the death to keep it. He'd like well to be able to scratch, but even when he can scratch no more, he'd rather itch than not. In his new book of poetry called Idiot Psalms, Scott Cairns takes himself to task for his Lenten lethargy. He's full of good intentions unfulfilled. In a downward spiral, each successive verse is worse than the previous one. The poem is called Lenten Complaint. The breakfast was adequate. The fast itself subpar. We gluttons, having modified our habits only somewhat within the looming Lenten dark, failed quite to shake our thick despair an air that clamped the heart, made moot the prayer. As dim disciples having seen the light, we supplied to it an unrelenting gloom. Wipe your chin. I'm dying here in Omaha, amid the flat, surrounded by the beefy landlocked generations, the river and the river's rancid shore. Oh, what I wouldn't give for a lifting, cool, salt breeze, a beach, a Labrador. According to Cairns, there was nothing Spartan about his breakfast. It was more than enough. His fast was more subpar than self-sacrificial. Lent is a time of new beginnings, but Cairns admits that he changed his ways only somewhat. As a glutton and a dim disciple, he says he failed to shake our thick despair. Having seen the light in the Lenten dark, he nevertheless overshadowed it with his oppressive gloom. In the last verse, Cairns then admits defeat and throws in the towel. He hates where he's at, he doesn't like the people he's with or their land, and he longs for more fortunate circumstances. He'd rather be carefree on a beach with his dog than concerned with Lenten disciplines.
Like Exodus 17, the Gospel in John 4 for this week is also a story about water. The Samaritan Woman at the Well In both stories, talk of physical hardship like fatigue and thirst gives way to descriptions of spiritual sustenance. Jesus changes the conversation about literal water to one about spiritual nourishment. The former, however good and necessary, is no substitute for the latter. Everyone who drinks this water, says Jesus, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to everlasting life. So, Lent is an opportunity to understand our physical appetites, not as something bad, but within the greater perspective of something better. In another poem from the same book, called Slow Boat to Byzantium, Scott Cairns describes eager pilgrims who are waiting to board their boat to the famous monastery of Mount Athos. When they get to that sacred place, they think, they can finally and fully embrace their spiritual disciplines. But their boat is anchored in a shallow cove and going nowhere. The pilgrims get irritated when such mundane matters delay their spiritual quest. After another boat ferries them to their destination, Cairns concludes the poem with some wise advice. If any of this frank, confusing clatter has distracted you from prayer, the odds are good the whole endeavor is already somewhat compromised. But take heart. These ups and downs will not abate so you will surely find in time a practice less dependent on good fortune. Don't pine for the past. The bad old days were bad. Don't wait for a better future. Don't grumble about present circumstances. Rather, in the words of the psalmist for this week, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, although they had seen my work. And for books this week, I review the new book of poetry by Scott Cairns. It's called Idiot Psalms, New Poems. Brewster, Massachusetts, Paraclete Press, 2014. It's 82 pages. Scott Cairns, the Catherine Payne Middlebush Chair in English at the University of Missouri, has won numerous awards for his dozen books of poetry, memoir, essays, and translations. This collection of 53 poems continues to explore Cairns' Eastern Orthodox faith including his experiences at Orthodox monasteries like those on the holy mountain of Athos. Of special interest, the book gathers into one place 
14 of his so-called idiot psalms that have heretofore appeared in journals such as the Atlantic Monthly, the Paris Review, the New Republic, and Poetry. In theological parlance, Cairns's poems exemplify the orthodox apophatic tradition that begins by confessing our unknowing. They're a marvelous correction to the many ways that we trivialize the divine. Our Father in heaven is intimate, and sometimes even too close for comfort, but he's also infinite, and so beyond the fallen and finite knowledge of mere mortals. To what might we compare, as Cairns puts it, the vast and inexplicable Full none of our words quite seem to satisfy. So, our speech about the divine is never exact, always provisional, insufficient for its task. Our hearts are dull, our presumptions are many, our minds are cluttered, our spiritual impediments also countless. Thus, our fraught perplexities accrue. And yet sometimes we have inklings of awareness that are no less real. The good God has condescended, acquiesced, to grant what little I might bear. Even though we ricochet between futility and audacity, it is good and right to pray, in the words of caring, being both far distant and most near. Grant in this obscurity a little light. Scott Cairns, a new book of poetry called Idiot Psalms. For movies this week, I review a title called Nebraska from 2013. In this black and white family elegy, Director Alexander Payne explores the prairies, the history, the empty towns, and the taciturn people of his home state of Nebraska. An addled and alcoholic curmudgeon named Woody thinks he's won a million dollars in a magazine sweepstakes piece of junk mail. His son, Dave, who works in an audio superstore, indulges this fantasy. And so they drive from their home in Montana to collect their winnings in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thus begins the father-son road trip. They are joined by Woody's wife, Kate, a non-stop nag whose acerbic wit exceeds Woody's sulky silence. Family stories emerge when they stop over in Hawthorne, where Woody was born. Thinking that Woody is now a millionaire, long-lost friends flock like bees to the honey. Payne, who uses non-actors in much of the film, never condescends to his subject. We, not, we might not be like them, or even admire them, but it's easy to love them and see ourselves in them. Director Alexander Payne, in his new film, Nebraska. For poetry this week, 
We've posted another poem by Edwina Gately. It's from her book, There Was No Path, So I Trod One, 2013. The title of this short poem is called Small Deeps. We are too complicated. We seek God here, there, and everywhere. We seek God in holy places, in books, in rules, regulations, rites, and rituals. We seek God in pomp and glory and ceremony, in relics and statues and visions and shrines. We seek God in popes and fathers and saints. Like lost, bewildered children, we seek outside the God who waits to be found in the small deeps of the human heart. Edwina Gately, Small Deeps. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, March 23rd, 2014, the third Sunday in Lent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.